Uh, it is good to be back. I appreciate those who preached, filled in for me while I was gone. Um, Danny and John and Brent, we were here the Sunday that Brent preached. We had here a few days between being in Colorado and then going to see our oldest daughter in Durham, North Carolina. It was a fun visit out there, hot and humid though. Um, you can tell that while I was gone, I, I lost the, the title, the heavyweight belt um, that I'd gotten in early June. I'm glad to be out of that. I had an x-ray a week and a half ago and they said that the vertebrae was healing well, so they said I can uh, uh, take that thing off. Still not supposed to be lifting up grandchildren, though I don't always obey that, um, that restriction, but appreciate your prayers. I'm, Jordan mentioned it, I'm really looking forward. Next week, we're going to do an introduction to a series we're going to do in um, the end of August and September called Engaged, and it's about, it, as disciples of Jesus, what are the, the core spiritual things, as, if we follow him, that we will engage in in our life, and so we're pretty excited about that, so um, encourage you to be here for that. So we are in Psalm 107. Um, kind of finishing up the Psalms today. Has it not been good to be in the Psalms this summer? I got to, I heard Brent in person, got to listen to Danny and John and just loved the Psalms they were in and the stuff that I learned and, from them. Um, so we are on Psalm 107. A few years back, I got to travel to Scotland and when Carissa was on her way back from a year of Bible school in Albania. And while we were there, one of the things you encounter a lot that are so beautiful are the old churches. I mean, if you get back east, you find them. But especially if you've ever been to Europe anywhere, like they have these centuries-old churches with amazing stained glass windows. I could just spend hours studying the stained glass windows. And um, th a lot of times in churches that have those, there will be famous like scenes, Bible stories, right? I think you've seen some of those. But the interesting thing about stained glass windows is they're always the really good stories, the Victoria stories, the things where everything turns out really well. Um, but as you know, life isn't always that way, right? Life isn't always that way. That's why I love the Psalms that we've been doing this summer, because so many of them talk about life as it really is and as we experience it. Um, so I, I just love the Bible, how honest it is. It doesn't brush over the negatives of life. And Psalm 107 I really love this psalm because it's going to give us four stained glass windows of things we go through in life that um, I think are so realistic and I love it. So before jumping in, let me just explain briefly the setting of this psalm. It was written after Israel had returned from exile, so about 500 BC. They had been enslaved in Babylon for over 70 years and God had miraculously brought them out, brought them back to the land, and this psalm was written after the fact, looking at that, what they had been through, and how he had delivered them. That's why in verse 2, it talks about how God redeemed them from the hand of the foe, and he brought them, gathered them in back from the east, the south, the east, the west, the north, and the south. But let's start, start with verse 1. And verse 1 is really important because verse 1 sets the table for where he's going to go with the whole psalm. So if you're in Psalm 107, in your phone... Um, opening a Bible, because I'm not going to have any of it on the screen. So I really encourage you to, to have the text and follow along. So Psalm 107, verse 1, I'm reading from the NIV, says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. This psalm is all about giving thanks to God for His goodness and for His love. Six times in this text, it's going to mention giving thanks to him for his goodness. Specifically, the, the word that's most critical in this text is his love. It talks about his love enduring forever. That word is really crucial in this psalm. Um, it is the Hebrew word chesed, and I would like you to say that with me. That H is a guttural, and I've, I've referenced it before. It's, it's my favorite Hebrew word, so I want you to say the word chesed. Can you do that? Chesed. Oh, good job. Just don't do that if you've got a cold and you've got some phlegm or something. In Hebrew class, I had that experience, and it's not pretty. Um, it is the Hebrew equivalent of a God's agape love. I think we've all heard of his agape love. It is his steadfast, faithful, unending, enduring, unconditional love, his loving kindness. That's what his chesed love is about. It's a foundational word in the Old Testament. It's extremely important, and it's a core word in the book of Psalms. That word occurs in the Old Testament 246 times. It's in the book of Psalms 125 times, a little over half. The, the book that has the second most uses of the word chesed is 2 Samuel with only 12. So it's really, really significant when you're reading the Psalms. Um, 
And so that's why verse 1 sets the table, because it says, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Him because He is good, and His chesed, His faithful, steadfast love, it endures forever. And then verses 2 to 3, He implores the people, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let those He redeemed from the hands of the foe, those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. They were redeemed from bondage and slavery in Babylon. I've been redeemed, and we've been redeemed. If you're here and you're redeemed, I've been redeemed from my sin, the penalty and the power of sin in my life. That's what I have been saved from, which is a much greater thing. Um, I'm curious, and through, only through my faith in Jesus. He lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died by placing my faith in him. He has redeemed me from my sin. I'm curious, how many of you here this morning are part of the redeemed? You would raise your hand. You'd say, I've accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness for my sin. It's great to be part of the redeemed, right? And so I love how he says, tell your story. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Tell your story. Now, now we're going to get in the good part. The author is now going to go into those four stained glass windows of life. And they're all forms of distress, of sorrow, of trouble, of calamity. Um, Those are all words that occur in this this text. And the word distress is the most prominent four times it's used. And as I look at each of these stained glass windows, you're going to see a pattern on all four of them, a common pattern. It's going to talk about the distress their cry for deliverance, how God delivers them, and then the giving of thanks. So you're going to see this pattern repeated in all four of the stained glass windows. So look at verse 4 with me. The first stained glass window of Psalm 107 is in verses 4 to 9. I want you to look at verse 4. And here's what it says. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Stop there. That's the first stained glass window, the desert. The desert being a place where one is dry, wasting away, where you find yourself being confused and alone. Ever find yourself in the desert? Look at verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing, his chesed love, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. So that's the first stained glass window, the desert. Then verse 10 to 16 is the second. So look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled. and There was no one to help. So the second stained glass window of life is the prison. A place of enslavement, of being trapped, and of having no way out. No way out. Any of you ever felt like you were in a prison of some kind? Ever felt that way? Look at the rest of this part in verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing chesed love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Second occurrence of good in here. It's in verse 1, and he fills the hungry with good things because he is a good God. So that's the, um, that's that, that's the first one. I, did I, I, I feel like I got out of place. I just read the desert one, sorry, in verse 13. I didn't, don't just feel like it, I did, right? <laughs> you didn't just, you didn't just feel like it, you really did. Verse 13, I'm sorry, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress for he brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, he broke away their chains. How powerful. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing hesed love, his chesed love, his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through iron bars. So that's the second stained glass window of life is the prison. The third is verses 17 to 22. 17 to 22, verse 17. Some became fools. Let me step aside a second. When we hear the word fool, we think of somebody that's stupid, 
or unthinking, and that's not the meaning in Hebrew. A fool in Hebrew is a, per- a fool is a person who is wicked, um, who has no interest in God. So he said, some became fools through their rebellious ways, and they suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food, and they drew near the gates of death. So I want to stop there, because this third stained glass window, um, it's the hospital ward. You see it in the word affliction, the word death we just read. If you look down to 20, it talks again about the grave and verse 20 about being healed. So that's this third stained glass window, the hospital ward. Being in a place of of suffering from something that's totally not in your control, whether it be physical or internal. Ever find yourself feeling like you're in a spiritual hospital ward? So verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing chesed love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings. So repeating the idea of giving thanks. Sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. So this is like verse 2. He's saying, I want you to tell the story. Tell your story to the community. Tell of what he's done for you with songs of joy. And then the fourth stained glass window is in verses 23 to 32. So we've had um, the desert, the prison, the hospital ward, and now the last one. Verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. That's such descriptive language of the fourth stained glass window, which is the storm. The storm. That at the end of verse 37, when it says they were at their wit's end, um, that actually comes from the King James, that's how it was translated, that's how that, if you ever hear somebody say, I'm at my wit's end, that's where it actually came from, was from the King James of Psalm 107. The today's English version, I love how they translate that, they translated all their skill was useless, they're in a storm and there was nothing they could do to get out of it. Storm being an intense, overwhelming situation where rescue, much less survival, seems impossible. So I'm curious, anybody here ever been in a storm, ever been in a storm. Four stained glass windows, pretty descriptive and true to life, are they not? I just love the imagery. Now, the author, whoever wrote this song, he follows these four stained glass windows with a description of the great reversal of misfortune that God likes to do, how he likes to turn things kind of upside down, um, how he takes the proud and he'll put them low and he takes those that are in distress and the downtrodden and he will lift them up. So that's what these next few verses are. So just read 33 to 42 with me. Follow along. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they found a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards. They yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased. And he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. This is all the story of Israel. He who pours contempt on, noble, he who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. I love verse 41. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction. He increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouth. So after talking about him being a God of reversals, then he concludes this psalm in verse 43. Verse 43, let the one who is wise, as opposed to the fool, let the wise heed these things, ponder, like think about, meditate on the chesed love of God, his loving deeds, the loving deeds of the Lord. And so I love this. He begins with God's steadfast, chesed love, and he ends with that same love. I, as I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about this psalm for a couple of months, and I really love this psalm. Um, I can see why Derek Kidner, I, who has a great commentary on the psalms, he calls, it the psalm, he calls this psalm God to the rescue. Because in this psalm we see in his words, Kidner's words, wanderers are retrieved, prisoners released, the sick restored, 
and the storm-tossed are rescued. And I really love the structure of this psalm, because it is a song, right? That's how these were written. Um, it's like one of your favorite songs, you know, where you'll have the verse and the chorus, the verse and the chorus, or the chorus, the refrain, and how you keep coming back to that refrain. And in songs you love, like, don't you, you just love that refrain. You love how that keeps coming back and getting repeated. And that's what's happening in this. Um, when he goes, he starts with the refrain, he goes through the four stained glass windows, and he keeps ending with that same refrain. And the refrain is this, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing chesed love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. That's the refrain that keeps repeating through all of these. And don't you really like it when you know a song? Maybe you've heard in the radio, we sing it here for worship. And then the worship team does something unique. They actually begin the song. They put the refrain at the very beginning, and you sing the refrain first, and you're like, I love that refrain so much. That is so cool that we sang it first. That's really what he does in this psalm. He starts in verse 1 with talking about what the refrain is, and then he repeats it several times all through those, those stained glass windows. And then he keeps coming back all through it, like to the main chord. You know, when you play a song, you might have G, A, D, or something, and he keeps coming back to that chord of the hesed love of God, his unfaithful, unfailing love. That's the thread that runs through the whole song. Three things I learn from this psalm. Three things that I want to share. Number one, the difficulties are inevitable. That's what these stained glass windows are about. James 1-2, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face troubles of many kinds. And he doesn't say, if you face troubles of many kinds. He says, when you face troubles of many kinds. It is inevitable. We will all find ourselves in a desert, in a prison, in a storm, in a hospital ward of some kind. Um, we're all going to find ourselves and more than one time, right? And when we find those selves in our places, we're going to feel like verse 21 where it says, all of our skill was useless. That we'll be like, I'm in this thing and I can't get myself out. I'm needing help. So why do we face such difficulties? Um, what's the Bible say about that? I would say a couple things. Number one, we live in a sinful, fallen world that when the God did not create and design it this way, we've talked about that before when I've done like the, the picture things up here, that God created the world to be full of his shalom, but it was their sin that broke it and brought corruption. And we just live in a world that does not function the way God intended. And so a lot of stuff just happens because we live in a broken world. And it's not anybody's fault. It's not my fault. It's not God's fault. We just live in a broken world. That's where a lot of our difficulty comes from. But I also will say that God will at times allow difficulty into our lives. Maybe he could prevent it, but he will allow it into our lives. And if he does that, it's always for our good and for important purposes. That's what Romans 8.28 says, that God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So if he's allowing it into my life, it's nobody's fault that it came perhaps, but if he's allowing it, like, why? What? What would the purpose? And I just, as I thought about it, there's three things I think difficulties do to us and for us. Number one, they humble us. That's what verse 39 said. Verse 39 talked about that they were humbled. It is so, I don't know about you, I can be so self-reliant, trusting in my own wisdom or my own thoughts or ability to do things. And difficulty always cuts that out from under me and it humbles me and makes me realize I'm more finite than I thought. Number two, they not only humble us, but our difficulties, they really strip us bare. They, I think they, they show us the false things that I've built, that we've built our lives upon, right? They show us the false narratives we have about the spiritual life or false conceptions we have about God. It undercuts false beliefs about who he is. Um, I think our difficulties, they reveal to us and they strip away our idols. Because a lot of times if I'm in a storm or something, it's because something I love probably more than God, I'm losing that thing. And so the reason it's such a storm is he's stripping an idol away from me. Um, I think many times in storms, he's exposing to me things in my life that I've allowed to accrue that are really unimportant, but I give a lot of time to, a lot of energy, and he'll strip those things away. And then he humbles us, he strips things away, and in doing that, he regrounds us into what is important. He teaches me things about himself so that it fits with the word of God more of what he's like. I get to rework narratives through his word, which is why it's important to stay in his word through difficulties. He shifts my focus on what is important in life, helps me turn my affection back to him away from idols, and in those difficulties, he teaches me dependence on him. So I think that's why God allows those things, to humble me, to strip me bare, 
to reground me. That's why James 1, which I just read a minute ago, goes on, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face troubles of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let the perseverance have its work, so you may be, may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. If God's allowing something in my life, that's his end game. Second thing I learned, so the first thing, difficulties are inevitable. Second thing I learned is some of our pain and suffering is self-inflicted. Some, that's important. Not most, not all, but some. Some of our pain and difficulty is self-inflicted. It was with Israel. Much of their distress was self-inflicted. They were in Israel, I mean in exile, because of their sin. If you look back in the text of verses 11 and 12, some sat in darkness and under darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised the plans of the Most High. And then verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways. They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. So the reality is, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes in a prison of my own making. Right? Don't we all? And that was true of Israel. Like Jonah I find myself in a storm that came because I intentionally disobeyed something that I knew God wanted me to do. Not all the time, but there are times that my difficulties are self-inflicted. But let me add this, because this is so important, that my poor choices do not have the final say in my life. They don't have the final say. That's what I love about this psalm, because this psalm is all about people who intentionally chose to walk away from him, and the, the, the desert, and the prison, and the hospital ward, and the storm they went through was self-inflicted, and even in that, God never quit pursuing them. That's the whole point. Even with those kind of people, he listened, he heard, he acted on their behalf, and that's what I love about this, because God, the, the story of this, his unconditional love is that he never stops pursuing us, no matter what we've done. And then third... So difficulties are inevitable. There are times some of my pain is self-inflicted. Third, that no matter the difficulty, that his chesed love is always there, and it is the dominant force in my life. Not the difficulty, not the storm, not the desert, not the prison, not the hospital ward. Those are not the dominant reality. The dominant reality is him and his unconditional love. It is faithful. It's steadfast. It is constant. It is always there. That's what we just sang about the song that God is still the same. That's why in the book of Lamentations, I mean, it is a lament, it is a, it is a prayer, it is a cry of pain written by Jeremiah, and in that he says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because of his chesed love, I'm not consumed, for his compassions never fail, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. His love is the constant thing. God is good. He hears, he sees and he acts. Six times in this text, it talks about his wonderful deeds and works. He is a God who hears and a God who acts. We see in verse 41, he lifted the needy out of their affliction. That's why we give thanks, because of his steadfast love that moves on our behalf. And it's because of that chesed love that he, he does move and he acts on our behalf. Um, he hears and he does act. It may not always be in my timing when I think it should happen. But his timing is always right, right? I don't always understand his timing, but it's always right. This whole theme of this psalm, that the God, that the God we serve, that he hears and sees and he acts, is, is really significant. And some of us have been reading through the Old Testament this year, part of it. And we've been in the book of Genesis. And the last two weeks, that is actually a theme that has stood out to me with Hagar, with Leah, and Jacob how they talked to God about the fact that he saw them in their trouble. He heard their cry and he acted, especially Leah. I loved, um, I loved her. She said, you saw me in my misery, in my misery, and you heard and you acted on my behalf. So much so she named one of her sons Judah. I praise you. I give thanks because of that. So I want you to know this morning that the God of Israel was a faithful and loving God who refused to let their exile have the, the last word in their life. He refused to do that. And he is the same God, we sang about that again, who refuses to allow the trouble you're in, the desert, the storm, the hospital ward, the prison, whatever it is, that will not have the final say in your life. He won't let it so because of his, his chesed love. Okay, Anna Black, come on up. I'm going to have Anna come up and she's going to, 
share with us her story. Um, while she's coming, Anna, I kind of said a little bit about your story when you got here. If you'd grab that mic. Anna, I mean, was born here in Emporia, not at the, hosp- not at the church, but um, we knew her folks when we first moved here in 90. She is just a couple months younger than Carissa, our oldest daughter, and I don't know, what, three, four years old when you went to Thailand? Yep. Okay. Parents went over and served um, in Thailand. They'd been with Christian Challenge here, and so when you talk about these stained glass windows of a storm, of a desert, of a hospital ward of a prison. I mean, you've been been there, done that kind of recently, haven't you? So which of those most describe where you found yourself recently? Yeah, so in um, 2019, so I served in Uganda for a few years um, doing missions work, and then I came back in 2019. My term had ended, um, and right as I was coming back, my mom was diagnosed with um, cancer, and so you know, I'm coming back from overseas processing all of these things and then coming home to having to um, watch my mom go through treatments. Um, And I think, and then about three months later, right after my mom was diagnosed, I was diagnosed at, um, I was 25, 26 years old, diagnosed with cancer myself. Um, And so we were both going through treatments together. Um, So I very much identify with the storm kind of for that season, um, just being just incredibly overwhelmed, um, kind of that sense of feeling like I'm drowning, like I cannot handle this, kind of the wits in, like I do not have the skills capable to handle what I have been given, um, and I would give anything to not be here right now, and I want to run and hide and just, you know, leave this situation, but I have to face this storm, it is at me whether I like it or not, and so I very much resonate with kind of the storm, but I think that, um, so we... We went through treatments together, um, and then I was basic. I was getting better, and I had surgery, and um, my tumors were shrinking. Um, but then, but while I was getting better, my mom actually ended up passing away in um, July of 2020. Um, while I'm still kind of finishing up treatments, and um, and I think that was kind of the mark for me of kind of before it was just kind of survival. Like I was just trying to get from day one to day two to day three, like just, you know, making it. Um, I didn't really have time to even think about everything, just, you know, make it. Um, But then I think once my mom passed, it was like just a rush of everything kind of hit me of like, what did, what just happened? Like what just happened in the last nine months? Um, And I think um, I kind of walked into more, I would resonate with the desert more there um, from after, um, just the grief of having losing my mom and dealing kind of with the repercussions of um, treatments at such a young age and um, I think just so many questions, so much anger, not um, having answers that I desperately wanted answers to of why, why me, why now. Um, and yeah, so I think it was kind of um, just a very dry time for me of feeling lonely and um, yeah. Yeah, so for you a storm actually led to a desert and you still were still in the storm, right? You yeah, were kind of yeah. Yeah, in a desert, which I think is so profound that you can be in more than one of these. <clears throat> I mean, in both of those, in a storm, in a desert, I mean, can you imagine being the only guy in that boat or out on that? There's a lot, there's a strong sense of like being alone and feeling isolated and really confused. And can you just speak to that for a minute? Like how that, what that was like in the middle of it? I know I just threw you a, cur- <laughs> a curveball, but like, how did you experience, how'd you feel that? Just that loneliness, loneliness, um, isolation. Well, I think uh, for me, um, it was kind of it was just so overwhelming. I didn't know how to 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 face just everything that was kind of coming at me. What you know, just the 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 emotion of it all. And so I think um, I kind of just shut down. I couldn't. I didn't want to. I almost didn't want to talk to God because I knew that if I were to talk to Him, I would have to face kind of this mountain of of things that had happened and emotions that came with it. And I didn't, I couldn't face it. I didn't want to, um, I, I could have, but I was too scared to. And so I really just kind of shut myself off really to communication with the Lord and, and not in a way that he wasn't there. Like he was very much there, but I just, I kind of, I kind of was both silent to him and also kicking and screaming at him all at once. Um, because, um, and I just, you know, all, all the, the, the frustrations and the anger, I just, I kind of just threw it at him, I think, and um, I think, um, but also not wanting to listen to what he had to say, because I was like, I know I'm being angry, I don't want to hear about it, um, and so just kind of, um, 
yeah, both kind of this 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 silence towards him, but also this like rage towards him. Yeah. Um, okay. Not many twenty-five-year-olds are dealing with their own cancer plus losing a parent, right? Yes. So I'm sure that felt kind of like a lonely thing. Um, so I talked about actually this kind of came out of our conversation, but how that our difficulties they humble us, they really strip us bare, they strip us down to some important things, and they help reground us. How did you experience that? through this season? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is um, learning God's goodness and kind of reframing what that actually looks like. I think before I kind of had this idea that God's goodness was if I um, experience something painful, he will make up for it and kind of compensate me for this hardship with something happier, better. Um, And I think that was kind of shattered when my mom passed away because it was suddenly, um, wait a second, like there's nothing better than having my mom here. There's nothing that um, you know, could could make up for in my understanding of um, of of that, and so I think um, I think reframing what His goodness looks like, both in um, well, I think I think I think the biggest thing is is recognizing that um, there are just some hurts that aren't always fully restored here on earth. There are ways that God has absolutely healed me, but there is still a longing and an ache for my mom that will never go away. Um, and a longing for, and an aching for a body that I used to have that was, you know, young and um, carefree and that is now different. And those will never be fully restored here on earth. But I think recognizing that um, God absolutely shows up and absolutely redeems here on, things on earth. But if that is the full scope of what his goodness is and I'm missing out on um, the where his goodness and hope, where majority of it lies, and that is an eternity. And I think like um, just recognizing that um, that is where I will be fully restored, and there will be no more pain and no more tears. And the light of, in the light of being with um, God for eternity, like that is where my hope and where His goodness, His restoring us to that um, eternity with Him, that is where I find my 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 true joy. Yeah, yeah. There can be some forms of deliverance here, but that ultimate deliverance for all of us, it will not come until new creation. Yeah. So. I just love how, Anna, you, the way you said it, first service, I even wrote it down. I left my notes back here. But just you said the, the wrong narratives of what it meant for God to be good. That I thought that was really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So, Anna, can you hang for a minute? I want to do some application and have you speak into more of that. Thank you. Uh, so I do, I've been thinking, how do you apply this psalm to our lives um, when we're in the midst of one of these? One thing to me comes from verse 43. If you'll look at that again, it says, let the one who is wise, that if you're wise, you will heed these things and ponder the loving, the chesed deeds of the Lord. So he says, heed these things and ponder. And so to me, one of the most important things is we really need to heed and remember the ways that God is good and acts in our lives. Um, to be attentive to the ways that he has worked in my life in the past, that, in the, that I'm, I'm attentive all through my life and how he is working right now, um, because you're going to need that reservoir of the memory of that, of having paid attention whenever you face difficult times, right? So that need to store that away. You had some cool things to say about that, Anna. Um, why is that important? Was that important for you? Yeah, um, so I think in my time in Uganda, um, it was just such a sweet season for me of just really seeing a lot of Lord's faithfulness and his goodness to me and just um, his kindness. And so I think, um, and just even, you know, seasons before that too, but that was the most recent thing um, prior to kind of my storm and desert. And so I think um, just not, you know, I can't unlearn some of those those ways that God was showed his kindness to me. And so I think that was kind of always in the back of my head, like um, just seeing his faithfulness. Even when I, I, I was... I wouldn't say I was extremely faithful to him in my storm, but he was faithful to me. And I think that that is just the epitome of what a relationship is with him is despite my lack of faithfulness, like he was extremely faithful to me. And even though I, um, I couldn't always speak his faithfulness over myself, like people who had seen his faithfulness in my story in the past um, could always speak that over me. And I think that that was um, such, a, such a big part of that is, is just being reminded again and again of how the Lord is faithful to me, his, his, his chesed love to yeah. me. Um, Good job. <laughs> thank you. I've <laughs> been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think just, yeah, remembering the seasons where he was faithful and having people um, who have seen his faithfulness in my life be able to, to, to pray that over me and say that over yeah. me. 
And you had said that in Uganda, you really saw his faithfulness, right, in your life. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so to be able to kind of use, have that season as something to, I don't know, I guess tether me to to um, his faithfulness and kind of that foundation, I think, that he had, the story that he had been building in my life, I think, um, and then coming to the season, like he'd already built a foundation that I could stand on, even though it felt like I wasn't standing, I think, um, it did, it felt like I was just absolutely crumbled, but at the same time, like really was sitting on that foundation of, of um, faithfulness that he had showed me in the past. Yeah. So he'd remember, second thing I'd say is cry out. Um, it's what we've been learning in the Psalms all summer. Anytime you read them, again, most of them are laments that God wants to hear our cry. I think for guys, this is tough, right? That's self-reliant. I just want to figure it out myself. But he, his invitation for us to go to him, to cry out, to, to turn to him, to stay connected to him because he cares and he wants to hear. Third thing I'd say is stay connected to community. This was a song, so it was sung in community. Several times throughout this psalm, he talks about telling your story to the community. So this idea that if I'm in a prison, a desert, a storm, a hospital ward, that it's really important to stay connected to community. And I know you uh, had that experience, right? Yeah, um, I would say I... I in a weird way, like, I, I was born here, and I have a lot of connections here, but I spent most of my time um, growing up overseas in Thailand, and so coming back, I got involved in a, in a life group, and these people didn't know me super, super well, um, and so, but immediately going into that storm, they were like, we're here for you, like, you tell us what you need, like, they prayed over me, um, they gave us meals, they, um, you know, they gave us all sorts of, like, little gift baskets to help with the, you know, cancer treatments that me and my mom were going through, and so um, just so loved on and felt supported um, that they would take a relative, I mean, connected, but still kind of a stranger to a lot of people um, that they would just welcome me in and just shower me with love and support, and I think especially when, um, you know, I'm going through something that is so overwhelming and I can't handle it, just knowing that, like, I don't have to also think about meals right now, like, somebody's taking care of that for me. It just relieved a little bit of that, um, that, it just took a little bit of that um, overwhelmingness away, um, just knowing that we had such support. Yeah. So, I think to heed and to ponder, um, to cry out, stay connected to community, give thanks is an obvious one in this text, six times, we're told to do that. Um, which requires remembering and heeding and paying attention. Um, just want to, I think all of us need to remember, even in the midst of difficulty, that there's still good things in our lives that are easy to overlook. So to just to always be giving thanks. Um, giving thanks definitely when things are really good, the Uganda times of our life, so that we do remember them. And then the fifth one is that I learned from this is share your story. We're told in verse 2, let the redeemed tell their story. We're to tell our story. Verses 22 and 32 talk about that. Because um, I think when I go through difficulty and I talk to people, I need to tell my story. It helps me process. I, I process by talking to people. I need to tell it for me, I think. But I also, I need to tell it for others because others need to hear our stories, don't they? Um, Anna, some last thoughts on that, why that has been important to you, the sharing your story. Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, I... I even, even in sharing each, I mean, even from first service to second service, like, just being able to tell my story, like, I learned something new about the Lord's hand in my life or how it's, you know, even just, um, I think it's also a big part, I didn't say this last time, but I think it's a big part of thanking God, like, being able to, um, to, to tell my story. It makes me um, grateful and thankful to see the Lord's hand. Like, I can't, if I'm not remembering my story and seeing the Lord work and I'm not um, taking time to, 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 celebrate that with the people in my life, then I, how quickly I forget um, the things that he's done and how quickly I become um, unthankful. And um, um, so I think remembering and telling my story helps me to, um, to thank God for the, the things that he's done and to remember those and to, to celebrate with the people who have walked through that season with me too. Yeah. She's told her story, a lot of courage. So can we thank her and give her some honor? Thank you, Anna. Um, I didn't tell you first service or between. I had to run to something, but you hit it out of the ballpark. And thanks for just the conversation the last couple of weeks. She actually helped write the sermon. Um, a lot of what we talked about was really helpful for me. So um, worship team, some kind of coming back up. You guys can come on out. Um, isn't that a good psalm? 
that Psalm 107, isn't that good? Um, but I just want to tell you, as good as it is, it only got better 500 years later. It got better 500 years later. Because in the person of Jesus, God entered into human history to personally experience all four of these stained glass windows himself, to walk through those himself. Was Jesus ever in a desert? Ever. Yeah, for 40 days and 40 nights, he's tempted in a desert. He's told, told that his, his whole ministry life, he never had a place to lay his head. He was always like a wanderer out in <laughs> kind of lost places, though he wasn't lost. Um, ever in a prison? He was. Um, the night he was arrested, they had the trial before the Sanhedrin. They kept him imprisoned until they took him that morning to see Pilate. When Pat and I were in Israel, we were at Caiaphas' home where he stood before the Sanhedrin. And it is above limestone caverns that they made into a prison for anybody they were trying. And we got to go down in there, especially there was one hole. In particular, they would lower people down through a hole in the top, down in, and when they turned the lights off, it was pitch black. So Jesus has literally been in prison for us. Um, how about the hospital ward? Ever, has he, was he ever physically broken in any way? I mean, think about the arrest, the betrayal, the beating, the scourging, the cross, the physical pain that he went through that he chose for you and for me. Storm, Jesus ever in a storm? I mean, several times physically, right? Numerous, numerous times in the Gospels, but more importantly in Gethsemane and in the rest and the crucifixion. He endured the greatest storm any human has ever endured in human history. That's what I love about Jesus is we serve a God who not just sees and hears and who acts, but a God who says, I'm gonna come and experience what you go through. And that's why Hebrews 4 says that I can go to him in my time of need because he can sympathize and empathize with us. He's been there and he's done that. And that he can give me, and he asked me to come to get strength and grace in my time of need. So, how about us today? They went through a desert, a prison, the hospital ward, the storm. Um, but again, we've all been in those places, right? And I know that this morning, because in any crowd, there's always... There's somebody here this morning who's in a desert. That's where you find yourself. You're in the desert right now. You're spiritually dry. You're what Jeff Mannion talks about. You're in this land between maybe where you've left something and you thought you were going somewhere like the people of Israel after Egypt, and but you find yourself wandering in a desert and you have no clue where you're going. And so you feel like you're in this confused, lost place where you're disoriented and you feel alone. Maybe you're really confused right now like Anna was talking about. You're asking a lot of big questions. Not even sure if God even hears or cares. But whatever the case, internally you feel barren and parched. I'm sure there's somebody here this morning who finds himself in a prison. Perhaps of their own making, but maybe not. Not necessary. Finding yourself enslaved by something. Maybe it's a besetting sin that you just can't seem to get victory over. Maybe you're feeling trapped in a situation in a relationship and you just can't extract yourself from it. Um, whatever the case, you feel shackled, um, isolated behind a locked door that you can't open and you feel hopeless and powerless and alone. I'm sure there's some here this morning that find themselves like in a hospital ward. Maybe literally dealing with a physical illness or some physical condition because uh, we live in a fallen world and our bodies break, Right? Something that there's no end in sight, nobody's been able to fix it, there seems to be no resolution, and it's just been chronic, and if you've ever lived with anything chronic, um, it wears you down, right? So maybe there's somebody this morning really physically, literally in the hospital ward, so to speak, or maybe experiencing some kind of deep emotional um, affliction, depression, or overwhelming anxiety, um, perhaps carrying a deep wound from the past still suffering from that. But whatever the case, you feel discouraged and hopeless. And then I'm sure there are some of us who find ourselves this morning in a storm, right? Some of us, the wind's starting to kick up, the, the wind's starting to blow, the waves are starting to kick up, and we're just treading water in it, and we're kind of like a duck. You show up at church on Sunday, and you look good on the surface to people, but underneath, you're like kicking like crazy, trying to make it. And there's probably some people here that you're in a, a huge storm right now. Um, huge, overwhelming 
waves are crashing down, gale force winds, and you really don't know how long you can hold out. And you don't know if you can make it, and maybe you even are feeling like that you're drowning. But whatever the case, feeling battered, helpless, afraid, not even sure you can survive. So if you find yourself in any of those, I want to offer you Psalm Isaiah 43, 1 to 3, where God says this, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So if you would stand with me, we're going to end in worship, and I want to give you perhaps an invitation. Um, Kale, can you do something for me? Something I was going to do between services, but I forgot I had a thing. Could you just come grab a couple of these papers and pens and just take them to the back where the sound booth is for me? Um, Here's what we want to do. We're going to worship the God who delivers in the midst of storms and who cares. And if it would be helpful because sometimes it's helpful to be like, I just need to lay my burden before the Lord. If if for you it would be helpful to come up here, we've got some sheets of paper and you can just mark down, you know, what are you in, a desert, a storm, a, a hospital ward? Are you in a prison? And maybe a one or two word description and, and it would be just an act of calling out to him, of crying out and asking him to be with you in that. If that, d- physically doing that would be helpful, we wouldn't invite you to do that. I've got some people that are willing to pray um, if they would come up to the sides. Um, if you're needing prayer, you can grab them as a couple. You can grab, if you just want a lady or a guy, grab them individually, but they'll just be standing up here. Um, we're also, I've put a couple of these things in back. Maybe you'd rather slide to the back to, to have a prayer for God or something to write this down. So they're back there if you want to do that. But just want to invite you if this would be helpful for you to come to actually do this. Um, again, it's always that first person that if there's more than one that want to do it, who's, whoever steps out first tends to, to, to be the one to break it open. Not always true, but generally. So if, if this would be helpful, then please um, come during the worship and Lay your burden before the Lord. So let's worship together.
steadfast love. So if you're here and you find yourself in one of those places and you really would like prayer but didn't want to come forward, you know, if we could hang for a little bit in case somebody does want to come up or grab a friend or somebody that you know and ask them to pray for you, um, it's so important to connect with community. So, uh, but God is good and he's loving in the midst of all of those things. So can we, can we, would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your steadfast faithful, unconditional, always there, loving kindness, that even in the midst of the desert, or the prison, or a hospital ward, or, or a storm, that, that it may feel like nobody's there to hear or to care. You do hear. You do care. You will act in some way. Ultimately, in new creation, you'll make all things right, and we thank you that that is the ultimate reality. So, just help us to lean into you in our difficult times, Lord. Lean in the community. Um, just we thank you for, for all of that. Jesus, we pray in your name, the one who entered all of these things and experienced them with us. We pray in your good name. Amen. All right, 12th, you are sent.